welcome everyone to Watch Challenge. On each episode, we challenge ourselves to find and watch a film of a particular type and then report back the results to each other and you find listeners. My name is Mike Went, And I'm Aaron Spears. This episode's challenge is Drive-In Double Feature. Mm. National Drive-In Movie Day is June 6th, which if you listen to this the day it comes out is coming up. So you still have the opportunity to uh, get to a drive-in on June 6th. And we thought, hey, what a good way to celebrate that, which actually I'm looking at the calendar now. Why did they pick June 6th? <laughs> Tuesday? Well, maybe, maybe because it's after late or Memorial Day, which is the unofficial kick of, of summer. Sure, sure. So maybe, maybe that's like a day where they're encouraging. Maybe they think most people, most kids are off school and now they can go to the drive in and stay late or something. Like that. <laughs> Uh, that's an adorable thought, but I, like, <laughs> I just, I'm still stuck on like, it's a Tuesday, um, yeah. maybe it's tied to the date, not maybe like first, yeah. first Saturday in June should be the drive-in, drive-in movie day. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> drive-in movie days, which is, is comical to me, not comical to me. That's not the right word. I adore drive-in movies. I adore yeah. movie theaters. So do you, it's fascinating to me that we live now in an era where like there's a drive-in movie renaissance. I never thought I'd be seeing that in my yeah. lifetime other than like the novelty of going to the drive-in. But then uh, it's one of those, I guess, pleasant, pleasantly surprising benefits to COVID. Is that the right way to say that? Uh, yeah. I, there's no yeah. polite way to word that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they, they had a moment, they had a resurgence, they had a, you know, a, fully like packed to the gills uh renaissance during COVID, and i think people some people caught the fever nope that's not the right way to say this some people uh (laughs) caught the vibe of the drive-in and really enjoyed it and have been going back and patronizing their their drive-ins and i think uh we were we were fortunate in the cleveland area that had a a very well-functioning drive-in pre-covid actually used to have a couple um and even kind of in a post-ish covid era is is still pretty hopping anytime i'm there yeah, no. Any, anytime I drive past it, it's like it is always packed. And uh, during COVID, that that became my wife and I's like uh, place where we can, you know, get away for a little bit. And we yeah. went uh, to over forty movies in the summer of twenty twenty at the drive-in. Yeah, uh, by by my last count, or the the count that I have. So I, I adore the the drive-in that we have here. Um, I mean, and there is, there is like multiple, I know there's, you know, the, the North Ridgeville one is the, the one that I like the most, but there is, you know, other ones uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Wait, is that the Autorama one? Yeah. The Autorama is uh, in Ridgeville. Okay. I can remember what city was actually on the border. Of there. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I just know where I'm going when I go to that one. <laughs> yeah. There was a, so like drive-ins also have just such a weird and interesting history in the ebb and flow of mm-hmm. like movie theater exhibition. Um, I remember my grandpa over in Pennsylvania telling me about coming back from World War II and this like local farmer had like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to put in a movie theater here. And it was just like out in the field. They plowed the field, <laughs> you know, put up a screen and as he made more money, slowly put up a better screen and sound. And that was always just fascinating to me that I was like, oh yeah, I guess if you just had property, you could just plow your field and yeah, hey, here's a drive-in. Um, but then also being film geeks, as I'm sure you have as well, my kind of dug into like the history of drive-ins and how they were around and uh, different incarnations of, of the drive-in where 
one of my favorites was like it was next to a gas station. So that way, while you're getting your car service, you could just like watch some movies. How <laughs> yeah, is getting their car service at night? Like you can't watch these during the day. It's so, so weird. Like the, the, the entrepreneurial shit, but also just like the novelty of like, let's try out this crazy thing. It's yeah. just like that's litters the history of drive-in movie theaters. <laughs> I think another thing you know that's synonymous with it is just, uh, you know, greasy food. Uh, but, but it's yeah. like the best kind of food uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, you know, for that, for that experience. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's, you're right. The, the novelty is just, you can, you can, if you have a convertible, you can open it up and just look at it oh, yeah. or, or for most of us, you know, you, you bring your, your lawn chairs and you just kind of sit out and it's yep. like, you know, especially when the weather is, is nice. It's, there's nothing, you know, I, I think it's like that Americana summer moment that a lot of people crave. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, and the fact that you get to watch a, a movie uh, with it is like awesome. Yeah. It's always like lawn chairs, all the windows are down, the stereo's cranked. Yeah. It's all broadcast through, you know, FM these days. Um, I've even taken to bringing like an old uh, hand crank, my camping radio, hand crank yeah. the battery for power and plug yeah. in my headphones so I can just like actually here if i want to but that also brings up this interesting element of like both of us being you know former theater workers or geeks for the theatrical experience mm-hmm. all that stuff it's a weird way to watch a movie it is it's, it's a know. really weird because like your attention is like you know you want your focused attention you know in a very like proper environment but also like there's kids running around people have their pets out <laughs> and it's this awesome kind of communal like pop-up neighborhood almost environment where like you, I'm sure you've seen plenty of comedies and drive-ins. It's a different yeah. vibe. You don't hear the laughter the way you do in an, in an enclosed theater. Yes, which is interesting. But also, I generally don't go for like serious movies at the drive-in. Right, I've seen there them. Like, it's not because I'm enjoying the communal comedy aspect of it either, because you don't really hear anybody else laughing. It's 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 such a weird environment to watch a movie. Yeah, no, you're right though. There there is a, there's definitely a drive-in feel kind of movie. Uh, where it's like you know we're not going to go see Bo is Afraid at at the drive. Oh my god! Right? No. You know, or I mean, maybe if we just want to be in our own you know safe space, it'd be interesting. Uh, but uh, that is, yeah, it is not like a drive-in movie to me. No, right? But uh, you know, I remember I was ten years old, like the summer of Jurassic Park. Like you know that oh, that yeah. scene is like that was a a cool thing to to. I mean, not only seeing the theater, but. But when you saw on the drive-in, it's like it's like that kind of that type of movie, you know, maybe mainstream you can call it, but uh, right. or or maybe on the other side of the coin, you know, something just trashy like uh, you know certain horror films or something like that. But oh, yeah. uh, but no, yeah, there, there's always a vibe to uh, the movies that the drive-in shows. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, then also luck- locally here, too, we've had they, pre-COVID, they were doing the, um, it was a day of the week, was it like Retro Tuesdays? Yeah, Retro think, Tuesdays. Yeah, so you'd end up being like, oh, I, now I've seen Grease at the drive-in. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of like, and this is not a knock on their programming at all, but like a lot of like the obvious uh, nostalgia programming. Yes. That yeah. you can get on there. Like, I've seen Gremlins at the drive-in. Like, it's yes. it's great. I love it. You know, like my, my kids Goonies. got to go enjoy, um, <laughs> I was going to say, got to go enjoy Goonies and at some point Spaceballs. Yeah. Um, those are you know that's that's drive-in style from a certain era but then also like peak drive-in as far as the number of screens and how many people were going to them not 
counting summer 2020, <laughs> which I think was a different kind of yeah. peak attendance, was like the the teen and youth culture, like 50s and 60s, which is a lot of like sci-fi or like the juvenile delinquent films or just these yeah. like not hangout films that like you think of as um, like a Dazed Confused or, or something like that, just like a hangout film that you hang out with, but a movie where you could just some scenes bore you so you're talking to your friends or you're going to the yeah. stand or like you don't necessarily need to watch every single scene for it to really like work as a movie yeah or trying to make a move on a significant other there you go exactly <laughs> uh, yeah you gotta right, set the right tone there um that is definitely not Bo's afraid <laughs> <laughs> so it, it it does kind of conjure up like um you know, mystery science theater type, you know, like the, the schlocky yes. uh, monster movies of, oh, I'd love to see a Godzilla one. I haven't seen a Godzilla at the drive-in. That'd be pretty fun. Yeah. That one's not on my list, but uh, yeah. It's it's a, it's kind of interesting that it's it's not an ideal way to watch a movie, but it's a very enjoyable way to watch a movie. Um, and it, it, it does pull you towards certain types of films. Um, as retro as you're going to get or as classic as you're going to get, Citizen Kane doesn't belong in a drive-in. Yeah. You know, like it's it's interesting that way. I, I know some purists when they're watching, you know, or watching at a drive-in with as far as the sound goes, uh, you know, yeah. it, it's not, it's not obviously it's it's more um, it's not surround sound and it's you know, it is coming out of your radio. So it right. You know, it can lack a little bit. But uh, I mean, seeing Top Gun Maverick a couple times mm-hmm. at the drive-in. I mean, I, I still feel like I was getting my, you know, my sound, uh, yeah. junkie worth, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, during that thing. So well, at this point too, I mean, if again, in the long history of drive-ins, like modern car stereos, huge step up from that one speaker. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can't really, can't really fault, uh, too much there. There was, there was one anecdote, a guy who used to do projection work, um, installation repair that I know, he ran a drive-in for a little bit and he did it kind of in that entrepreneurial spirit, like, oh, I, I, I can, I can do this drive-in here. And so it's, it's secondhand story from him, but, uh, a guy he knew back in the day when they were really starting to struggle, um, would do adult, they showed porn, like they showed adult <laughs> movies later into the bill on a drive-in so i was like wait that would go on screen at like what like two in the morning like what and he's like yeah and then you know a neighbor would look out the window and be like what the hell you know and i was like i can't picture that being at a drive-in he's like why wouldn't you picture that being at a drive-in i was like ah i see what you're saying now uh yeah that's interesting so yeah it's 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 great to see that they're kind of back in a way yeah um, and uh, I would like to see some some interesting programming transition transition to maybe some double features that were we've yes. we've brainstormed here in honor of uh, of Drive-In Movie Day. Uh, did you have parameters for your double feature you put together? Yeah, I mean, I um, I looked at uh, some of the eras that were uh, potentially po- or more, you know popular for drive-in, mm-hmm. so. I looked at that and I I tried to like pair things with the theme. Um, I did try to avoid like you know original sequel. I think that's that's a little lazy. You know, okay, okay. I'm, like gonna say I don't know. You know, Beverly Hills Cop one, Beverly Hills Cop two. Like, okay, you know, I think that's a little lazy. <laughs> but um, um, so yeah, I mean, th- those were the kind of simple things that I that I looked at and uh, and you know the the one that I. I ended up picking is just one that I, and you know, I'll get to it when we get to it, but like, you know, there were certain aspects of it that sounds like, Ooh, that's right for a drive. <laughs> nice. 
Well, then I'll just get this honorable mention out of the way, and it's because it's one that I saw, but it's exactly what you were just talking about. And I believe you may have also been at this event, because I think we've talked about it before, but one of my all-time favorite American films is Back to the Future. Yes. It's the movie that got me into movies, and the local drive-in that we've already mentioned did one, two, and three back to back to back. Yes. And got to go see that in one very long night, but seeing those three back to back to back in an environment that the drive-in is going to attract is going to be some of the Uber geeks that really want to, that are really into it. And so we were parked next to a van. It was a minivan, but it still had like the pole for the flex capacitor on the top of it with a bunch of wires and shit. And they had a trunk that looked like the plutonium case that when they popped it open, bunch of beer. (laughs) And I was like, this is exactly the environment I want to be in. Took a little alcohol nap towards the end of part two, woke back up for three, uh, uncomfortable camping chair nap, uh, kind of by accident there. But Again, like it's not in a theater, so you didn't get to see everybody, but people were dressed up. Um, yes. You know, I had on my my Doc Brown white, you know, coverall thing and everybody <laughs> was with us. And, um, you know, it was a fun environment. Like the few cars that we were around, there was a remote control DeLorean somebody was trying to do on the gravel yeah. parking. That didn't really work too well. Um, it was just kind of a cool, almost like low-key Comic-Con hangout vibe. Yeah. It. People were doing the, the quoting the lines and then uh, they were like, all right, well, you know, in this scene, you're going to be Doc, you know, and they, it, it was just. It was kind of a cool, like I said, kind of a pop-up neighborhood environment to enjoy a great trilogy. But noted, that isn't exactly like double feature territories. Now, I don't yeah, know how yeah, I would yeah. it, but man, that was like one of those theatrical experiences that just that's up there for me. Yeah, now I'm going to contradict what I said before. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I, I mean, that is a perfect lineup. And I, did, I was there, but uh, I believe uh, my wife and I, we tapped out after part one. Uh, so. Okay. I mean, not my choice. Uh, but, um, it happens. Yeah. Uh, what uh, what uh, honorable mention lineup have you got, Mike? Yeah. So um, I thought this one might be a fun pairing just because it the second movie was accused of being a complete ripoff of it. Uh, but uh, I was thinking along the lines of you have Jaws at the beginning um, okay. and Orca after. Oh yeah, uh, which or- that one. yeah, Orca was uh, that that one of those HBO kid movies uh, where it, it seemed to be <laughs> on all the time, uh, even in the even in the nineties. Uh, you know, twenty years later after it was out, yeah. But uh, but I, I thought that might be a fun one because like you know it's it's same kind of aquatic theme uh, killer animal but uh, orca is uh, oh, yeah. actually i i think like a better movie than it's like that you know than it's critical reputation i i think it's kind of fun um but uh you know it's considered kind of not a great movie <laughs> now is that um by nostalgia for you then you yeah is it? Okay. definitely definitely but you know it's like so you get the masterpiece at the beginning and then sure. you have the not so good so with which gives it that drive-in kind of twist. Oh, yeah. To the double feature. <laughs> it'd just be like a great drive-in movie experience because people oh, know yeah. it and quoting it. That'd be the kickoff. And anybody who wants to, like you said, everyone wants to tap out and go home. All right. Now the diehards, we're here for the drive-in trash. <laughs> <laughs> I I saw Orca only as a grown-up. And I remember it being like this notorious, terrible movie. And I remember watching it going like, this isn't terrible, terrible. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm it's perfectly this. watchable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the uh, the other one uh, I have is uh, well I don't want to go too into it I so <laughs> I 
I think this would be an awesome pairing because beach party movies were a huge thing for a minute. Oh, yeah. Like a hot minute, like the mid-60s. You know, you could see the original uh, Beach Party movie comes out and then American International Pictures, AIP, they kind of start the fad and then they also killed the fad because like the next year there's like five and the next year there's seven and then they're just done. Like they came and went in a couple of years. So I would do Bikini Beach from 1964. Mm. Um, It's the one where a millionaire sets out to prove his theory that his pet chimpanzee is as intelligent as the teenagers who hang out on the beach. So Frankie <laughs> and that, uh, you know, Don Rickles is there. Harvey Lembeck's doing his thing, but it's a, just a dude in a monkey costume. Yeah. It's not an actual like <laughs> chimpanzee, like in every which way, but loose or something. It's just a dude clearly in a monkey costume who's surfing and he's playing on the beach and he's trying to pick it. It's weird. Yeah. But it has all the stuff like there's little drag strip action in there. There's like the the weird like surf music dancing that goes on. Don Rickles is running the little Shake Shack thing. So Don Rickles is doing some of his stuff. It's just one of those goofy fun times. Um, I think if you if you ever uh, wanted to watch a beach party movie and haven't, it's got kind of all the elements. If you're bored, just wait four minutes and the next scene yeah. happens and you're good. And I would want to pair that one with a movie that I saw before I saw any beach party movies, and that's psycho beach party from 2000 <laughs> uh from robert lee king who actually stars lauren ambrose who's having a resurgence little moment because she's in yellow jackets season yeah. two aside from you know ken hardly wade and all the 90s teen stuff that we grew up with yeah um but it's also a hard rated r horror movie that uh plays with all of those horror comedy plays with all those conventions of the beach party ones. so you get like a sample of like here's what this genre was at its moment in time and then here's the late 90s early 2000s everything was a parody scary movies going like we're just making fun of genre films and psycho beach party uh does that and i think it's a ton of fun but it would definitely be the later half of a double bill (laughs) (laughs) i believe i haven't seen this in a long time i think amy adams is even in there wow it's just one of those like weird like 2000s catching people who would become like the actors we all love in the 2000s like later on yeah um, that are all just kind of like around for a scene or two it's pretty interesting (laughs) anyway uh do you have any other honorable mention lineups yeah i would uh i think um you know because i i really do enjoy a lot of 80s comedies that you know might maybe are not considered super great but uh i would do a double feature of uh, Revenge of the Nerds uh, with okay. Police Academy. Oh, because they're both like, like at least the first uh, installment of each of those franchises was more hard R, uh, and they eventually became more like PG PG thirteen kind of <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, but I, I thought because they came out in the same year, and uh, hey, really. Yeah, 84. Oh, okay. And it kind of, you know, it follows, you know, the same kind of, you know, loser type people who band together to, you know, do something good. So maybe maybe it should start with Police Academy at the top because it, even though it's R, it's kind of tame. And then Revenge of the Nerds would end the night because it's (laughs) a lot more hardcore R, I would say. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that lineup makes sense, I think. I think you're right. I was thinking too, like which one has more weight, like culturally, like the impact. Yeah, like, you start strong. We're like, oh, everybody would want to watch that one. No, uh, you're right. I think you're right, right. content wise. You got yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. No, and I mean those movies. I think um, you know, with 
now that years have passed by are seen in a different light now in in this current climate so those will probably get less shown <laughs> I mean, uh, in cult type things just because of uh you know certain things uh, actually in both films that have like questionable yeah know, yeah content um but uh, but we accept them as eighties kids. Yeah, it's it's what it, it's what it was when it was made. Yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, at this point now, I, I I see what you're saying, like culturally, how it's it's kind of perceived and looked at. You're like, oh man, that I don't remember Revenge of the Nerds having like a rape element to this at all. Or yeah, oh yeah, yeah. But also, um, I'm perfectly fine watching films as cultural artifacts, and you right, know, this was what that was, and uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but this, that's a good. Uh, yeah, that's a solid like comedy drive-in pairing. Yeah, you kind of like drop in and out of the movies if you're going to the concession stand or hitting the bathroom or doing whatever. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, I still get the gist of what's going on here. Well, so uh, what did you end up picking for your uh, your official double feature? All right, so this one takes a little explaining. <laughs> no, actually, it doesn't. <laughs> So with like the the beach party movies, like Back to the Future didn't really um, doesn't have like a summer vibe to me. Other than I think sure. maybe they came out. I think they, I mean there was like summer blockbusters initially. I guess yeah. Like the beach party movies, like we're Cleveland area folks here, you and I. So like summer to us is you know like oh it's finally warm weather. I can go <laughs> outside. Like it's um you know we're in that environment where like that means certain things. Like it's like it's vacation time. Let's head to the beach or you know whatever. Not yeah. necessarily Lake Erie. It's kind of dicey to go in the water there. So. All right, so my so my approach with this one was I was actually programming it as if it was a Fourth of July weekend double feature at the drive-in. Awesome. So that kind of thing. So yeah. you know, maybe you get like the the the, the family friends cookouts done. Actually, you could probably do this as a double feature via cookout and hanging out. And all yeah. That. But I thought, okay, you know, you're kind of sunburned. Uh, you know, the, the sun has gone down now. You can head to the drive-in. Maybe that's uh, plutonium case with beers <laughs> with you or whatever. You're hanging out. And so the double feature I put together would be, it's a documentary and a narrative. Oh, okay. And documentaries may not be like the best, drive-in's the best place for it, but I think this one's awesome because it's just this kind of hang out with a movie kind of documentary. It's uh, Bruce Brown's The Endless Summer from 1966, uh, surfing documentary. <laughs> The Endless Summer really stands heads and tails above any of the other hundreds of surfing films. It was completely earth-shattering. I think it's probably the greatest surf film. It was the film that lifted the veil on the mystery of what surfing was for people and exposed it to the world. It was amazing. It was everything that we thought surfing was and then more. I think you can talk to anybody in the world who watched Endless Summer and that movie impacted their life from there forward. Pretty much changed my entire life. Is this something you can do for a living? Can you have an Endless Summer in your life? It shows every surfer that you can have an Endless Summer. You can go and surf all the spots you want. There wasn't just waves in your backyard, right? There's waves all over the world. It blew my mind. Chasing warm weather around the world looking for perfect surf. The dream of perfect waves is just mind-boggling. And then you follow that up with 1991's Point Break. Ah, oh, I love that. The ultimate rush. Nothing that comes close to it. Not even sex. We are the ex-president. Total commitment. It's a real thin line between life and death. I'm not a crook. Not 
tragic to die doing what you love. If you want the ultimate, you gotta be willing to pay the ultimate price. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, and please don't forget to vote. You want to nail the bank robbers and be a big hero? Definitely. The ex-presidents are surfers. You're trying to tell me the FBI is going to pay me to learn to surf. So... You get to hang out with uh, Bruce Brown, followed around Mike Henson, Mike Henson and Robert August as they do the world tour of like surfing. You just kind of hang out. There's a chill surf rock vibe by the sandals. They do the whole score, actually the whole soundtrack to it. They travel through Australia, New Zealand, Tahiti. I wrote these down. Uh, <laughs> Australia, New Zealand, Tahiti, Hawaii, Senegal, Ghana, Nigeria, and South Africa. It's a breezy like 90-minute movie. Bruce Brown does this awesome voiceover narration that is unlike any other voiceover narration <laughs> I've heard. And I think it's because of the way he came about it. So he's known as like the father, the king of the surf documentaries, which actually is a weird subgenre of documentaries. There's a lot of them. Yeah. Um, and what he did, he made like six of these before Endless Summer comes out. And what he used to do was he just totally road showed them with a buddy of his. They got in a van. Actually, I, put, I have his quote in here. We would take the films to the venues in a van and we had rewind rewinds and viewers in the back of the van and i would actually edit the stuff his own footage uh while we were traveling i would adjust it according to the reactions of the audience from the previous night so he was shooting eight millimeter and 16 millimeter silent um mostly and i think in all in color though surf films and he would edit together like how awesome these surf moves were and how awesome that wave was and then he would play on i think it was on cassette or reel to reel the music he wanted to go along with his silent movie and with a microphone he would just narrate it with the audience yeah almost like live commentary slash stand up because he would see what the vibe of the audience was and he'd do a little bit more jokes if people were into it and if he wasn't he if it was die hard surf crowd he would just get into the technique of the surfing and that was it and so you'd <laughs> almost get a different show if you saw it at different yeah. areas and they did like high schools and coffee shops and some surf shops and i was just like this is such a passion project and such an awesome way to experience something. And then he finally knocked it out of the park. He combined that format. He combined all of those different formats yeah. approaches together with the endless summer makes the movie for, I didn't write down the budget, uh, nothing. I mean, it's maybe a hundred thousand. If that it comes out in 66, it makes $20 million in the theater, mm. which translates to $187 million in today's money. Yeah. So like, it's a crazy hit. It's yeah. a crazy hit. It introduces surfing all over the, the world, all over the United States. By traveling to these different areas, it introduces surfing to all these other cultures as well. And this is surfing where it's just like dudes in trunks on a board. That is it. <laughs> that is it. Um, so, like, it's a very much a purist thing. And I thought, well, I don't know surfing. I'm from, you know, Cleveland. Like, we don't, like I, I know there are surfers in Cleveland. Yeah. I'm not part of that group. I'm scared of Lake Erie. I'm scared of those. <laughs> but I like the vibe. And I thought watching The Endless Summer, I was like, well, shit, I need to watch Point Break now because I have a new appreciation oh, man. for surfing. And then you throw on Point I Break. Point Break. <laughs> oh, I mean, what's to say about Point Break? I've never seen it a drive-in. I think that'd be a kick-ass drive-in movie. Yeah. People yeah. cranking up the volume, like the bigger, you know, the huge screen. I think it would be great. So then I looked up. Uh, Endless Summer comes out June 1966. Point Break comes out July 1991. Point Break made $84 million worldwide when it came out. You know what that translates to in 2023 money? $187 million. The exact same. Amazing. <laughs> and I was like, yes, this is perfect. This is my double feature. Um, 
and the, you see the progression of like 30 ish years later, nearly 30 years later, like what surfing was to actual surfers. And then, you know, they trained, you know, Laurie Petty, uh, Keanu Reeves and, and Swayze all trained with like professional surfers to look yeah. at what they're doing. And the photography changed from like how you surf in the sixties to how you surf in the 1990s. Oh my God. Like there was just so much more of a wow factor and an appreciation for the, um, crazy ass surf scenes let alone the action scenes. I mean, Bigelow knows what she's doing with action, clearly. Yeah. But I was like, okay, yeah, this is a double feature. You kind of just hang out with the endless summer if you don't catch yeah. up the scene. It's cool. It's cool. So it's interesting that the lineup this way is like the lead movie that everyone would be there for would be second. Yeah. A little bit later here. But I think those would line up really well to kind of like whet the appetite and kind of like get, dive into like actual surf culture and then see yeah. like the original version of it 30 years later as well. Well, it's like a nice little reward at the beginning uh, where, you know, if you've yeah. ever heard of it. Right, right. And after you sit through it, you're like, holy shit, like that was good. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I mean, and it's a it's a comedic. Um, it's more of a commentary. I mean, it's a voiceover narration, but it's more of a commentary. Yeah. Where, like Bruce Brown is actually interacting via his voice with like some of the surfers. Where he's like, hey, give us a wave there, buddy. And then like somebody's waving. on. Like they're not yeah. doing that because you said it. It's because you know what footage is coming your way. California has a lot of places that represent summer to a lot of people. No place more than this secret spot. Malibu Beach, California, famous for its Malibu outriggers, surfing, and girls. This is a girl, and for those of you who are maladjusted, this is a Malibu outrigger. I know, it's just really, really fascinating. It it, it just charmed the, uh, I don't know, charmed my socks off, whatever that phrase is. Like, it, just, it just totally charmed me. But then I was immediately like, I need to watch Point Break right now. <laughs> um, I did. I did watch it as an actual like double feature, and I was like, okay, this works. I really need to see this. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a good movie. Uh, so, yeah, Endless Summer '66, and then Point Break '1991 is my uh, drive-in. No, I love it. Feature. Uh, have you seen Endless Summer, Mike? Or I that- have. I have, and I remember like in the mid '90s, mm-hmm. he put out a sequel, I believe. Yeah, or, summer- or, or somebody put out a sequel, you know. But uh, I th- yeah, I, I could be wrong. Yeah, it was him and um, his. Uh, I believe it was his son started making surf documentaries as well. Um, yeah, and did step into liquid. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, 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 but I think they, I think they worked together on in the summer too. Yeah. So, what have you got for your drive-in feature, Mike? So mine, um, I um, there was a movie that I've been I. I've always wanted to watch. Uh, I have the soundtrack, but I just never, for whatever reason, um, found it on TV or uh, just, you know, it's not on streaming at the moment. So I did buy a Blu ray. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so my, this is how I w- I'm going to put it. Uh, where first you have American Graffiti, <gasps> uh, you know, which oh. of course is like maybe a very obvious choice. No, but I've never seen that drive-in. That would be killer. Oh, yeah. Grab that special one and jump into your candy-colored custom or your screaming machine, cruise downtown, and catch American Graffiti. American Graffiti. Baby, what's that? It's a movie. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Go back in time. Where were you in 62? Is that you in that beautiful car? Jeez, what a waste of machinery. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're going to rock around the 
o'clock tonight. But what did you say? Someone wants me. Someone roaming the streets wants me. And I bet you're smart enough to get us some brew. A ballpoint pen, a pint of old Harper. Okay, you got an ID for the liquor? Not until I left it in the car. You'll have to get it before. Oh, well, I, I also... I forgot the car. But then uh, follow it up with a movie that came out 10 years later in Eddie and the Cruisers. It was 18 years ago that a turquoise Chevy convertible went off the Raritan Bridge. Its driver was Eddie Wilson of Eddie and the Cruisers. His body was never found. You ever wonder what it might have been like if he was still around? I used to wonder. It ate me up. Some nights it's like Eddie's still alive. You don't understand. Not yet he died, the cruisers died with him. 1983. Okay. So that Eddie and the Cruisers is the one that I I've had the soundtrack for a long time. I'm a big fan of the song that is played throughout the the movie, uh, which is called "On the Dark Side" by John Cafferty and the Brown Beaver Band. Um, I I think that's just uh, as far as like a classic rock hits go. Mm-hmm. I think it's perfection. I, you know, it's it's like two and a half minutes, but it, it's so good. And I had always heard that the movie um, that is a part of it was not so good. Just uh, looking up like Ebert, you know, gave it like a, a mediocre review. Uh, I, I, I looked up a Siskel and Ebert mm-hmm. clip actually of them talking about it and both giving it thumbs down. Oh, um, no way. So but um, I I found that um, Eddie and the Cruisers was was interesting because it it, it kind of takes place around the same time. Uh, that American Graffiti, which uh, was like, you know, the tagline for that movie is Where Are You in 62? This is like most of the things in uh, Eddie and the Cruisers are told in flashbacks in 1963. So, really, you know, the kind of vibes. But, um, but anyway, you know, Eddie and the Cruisers, uh, you know, spoiler alert, I guess, but, uh, you know, it's about this band um, and the, the lead singer has allegedly allegedly kill, um, drove a car off of a uh, bridge and has been dead for years. And they only had one album and he recorded this second album that was never released uh, called the, the hell sessions or something like that uh, or season in hell. Um, but uh, most of the movie is told through Tom Berenger uh, who was in the band who, who writes all the lyrics to, to the music. And uh, he's now a teacher, but there's this, uh, there's a, a TV reporter who's trying to find out where this, you know, the the hell season tapes are. Um, so I actually found it to be a pretty interesting movie. You know, I, I would recommend it. I, I liked it more than I think its reputation is. Um, but uh, it's really like it has some really great music sequences in it, and of course, American Graffiti has one of the best 
soundtracks of all time and it's it's literally about people driving around Um, (laughs) so yeah uh, that's why i kind of wanted to pair those uh now eric have you seen eddie and the cruisers i haven't but actually if you would have just said what's the critic consensus on that like to me i know people that are just like that movie fucking rocks yeah it's kind of like cult status i would have said and i would have been like yeah i'm sure like critics thought it was pretty good like it yeah uh, that was the the stature of it to me. Also, I really thought it was about it was an eighties like rock band movie. Like I did the sixties element that you're saying that it, it's it's totally yeah. back to the sixties. I did not know that part of that story at all. I just thought it was like an eighties like rock band in what was it eighty three? You said yeah, it, it came out in eighty three, and it, it was all set in eighty three, and it was all eighties rock music. Yeah, it, okay. from what um, I did a little deep dive on this movie. Uh, <laughs> But uh, it sounds like it was inspired by all these like New Jersey bands that the director had seen, kind of like you know your Bruce Springsteen's and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it probably could have took place in the '80s, but he decided to take place in the '60s, and I think mostly it was because of like the elements of having those classic cars and and everything oh, sure. like that. But uh, so yeah, it's. Um, the the one thing about that movie it was like it was a huge flop when it came out but a few months later it premiered on hbo in heavy heavy rotation and from what i had heard or from what i've read it was like that was like one of the most significant movies that hbo ever had really um, in that in like the mid 80s to to really um in, in a lot of people who maybe who had HBO then or yeah. like everything allegedly. I mean, there's like, you're right. There's like a cult following for this movie mm-hmm. um, that I don't quite understand. <laughs> I, like, I think it was very, like, I thought it was very entertaining. I, I liked it, but I don't understand the, the rabid fan base that it might have, but interesting. You know. Well, is it, um, is it, does it have a lot of musicians like in the cast? So people are just like, Oh, I love that band. So I like that movie. Cause my, these band, band members i like her in it or is it yeah i think they all most of the music was done done by this john cafferty band but so all the musicians in the movie lip sync or um stuff like that so it was all actors i think except for the saxophone player okay like a you know a small part but uh yeah it's um when i bought the blu-ray it comes with part two which came out in 1989 called like Eddie lives or something like that. <laughs> um, but uh, does that sort of spoil the first one then? Uh, well, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Because there's a, there's a scene that happens in the, uh, at the very end of Eddie and the cruisers that makes you rethink uh, every, you know, like, is this person dead or alive? Oh, uh, uh, interesting. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, I, I did not watch the sequel yet. Um, I hear that one is legitimately bad. Uh, like, it was like it was made like six years after the first one so any of the notoriety from the first one didn't really translate to this it was like right past its window well once you get to 89 too you're in like okay well we can make our money back at the video store so let's just not go yep. too crazy with this budget but hey yeah. it found an audience on hbo so yeah a certain amount yeah. of money might be coming in uh, no, I'm I'm uh, I'm intrigued. It was one of those. I remember the video. I remember the VHS cover at the video stories to work at. It was like it was it was rented. I mean, this is my memories get a little fuzzy, but like 
I remember it was in a live store, so they had to bring the box up to me so you always knew what people were renting. Yeah. I've never seen that box a lot. Yeah. So. Well, um, I, I always – this when it comes to this movie, I remember telling – talking to a, a friend of mine about uh, the soundtrack, how much I liked it. And mm-hmm. but I was like, oh, but I, you know, that movie sucks is basically what I said without even really even seeing it. And uh, he he's like, that was my mom's favorite movie. And his mom's <laughs> not with us anymore. So like, I felt so oh, horrible. No. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. So now I'm glad that I really legitimately like it. And his mom was right. Oh, good. 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 <laughs> Yes, this is, uh, the main song in the film on the dark side was number one song in the country on Billboard's mainstream rock and heat seeker charts. So, you know, you got yourself a hit song. I wonder if that was uh, when it initially came out or if that was once it hit HBO and people yeah. found it. They um, basically, yeah, the when the, the song came out, like with the movie, when it first was released, it was like it barely did the charts. But then once it was on TV... It uh, it just kind of sparked this, uh, you know, awareness of the movie. So the soundtrack sold a bunch, and then they actually put it back in theaters and stuff. But it still didn't really make them. <laughs> interesting life cycle, though. That's really that's fascinating. Yeah, it seems like pretty forgotten at this point. Um, but I don't know. I think just with that song, because like you know, if you ever if you ever have like the classic rock station on the weekend, like. You'll yeah. hear it at least a couple times a day. Okay, I, interesting. I yeah. So, do you think it was the? Does it play into like the nostalgia? Not necessarily the level of American Graffiti, but does it play into that '60s kind of nostalgia vibe? Maybe that's what people yeah. were responding to in the early '80s. Yeah, I think um, part of it is just the the overall kind of music um, that's that's prevalent in both movies, mm-hmm. uh, even though some of the or the the. the yeah, the music that was made for Eddie and the Cruisers kind of sounds '80s ish, um, but there are certain scenes where, like, when you're first in the movie, where you have some of the same songs that American Graffiti has. So it's like, okay. I, don't, I don't know. I, I felt like a whole music theme, and then it also just has a vibe of, uh, you know, there, there's love love elements in American Graffiti and there's the there's like a love story in Oh yeah yeah in a cruiser. So yeah. you know stuff like that I think to to kind of all tie it together. Yeah. No, it's good good themes working throughout. <laughs> so nice. No, I'll um I that's a great pairing. I like when it's like more thematic pairing than well I don't know what else it would be obviously because it's, <laughs> yeah. unless it was like uh, first movie then sequel but some of the ones that are even more obtuse that like, what is the theme going on here? Like, I feel right. like without knowing, without having seen Eddie the Cruisers, uh, you're just like, here, pair these two together. Be like, oh, that's interesting. What are we doing with this pairing here? But uh, again, I didn't realize there was even a 60s element to Eddie the Cruisers. I just thought it was yeah. a rock movie. So sweet. Uh, no, I'm, I'm really intrigued by that. Actually, it also makes me want to rewatch American Graffiti because that's just such <laughs> an awesome, like, oh, summer movie. Yeah. Yes. One of the best. I think. <laughs> yeah. So with our official watch challenge picks for drive-in double feature are The Endless Summer, 1966, paired with Point Break from 1991, and American Graffiti from 73, paired with Eddie and the Cruisers from 1983. Aaron, what challenge do we have in front of us for next time? Our next challenge is going to be actually, well, one, it's Pride Month, so we wanted to go with a theme for Pride Month, but also I feel like you've mentioned a few times in recent episodes the coming-of-age uh, oh, yeah. film as a genre and as a favorite of yours. So I thought, well, 
let's this is interesting let's dip our toes let's get a little specific we're going to do queer coming of age stories yes um i also have a personal challenge i'm going to set for myself i want to watch something not from this country ah okay i want to see yeah. what maybe like a coming out coming of age story would be well actually it doesn't have to be coming out story i guess just a queer coming of queer coming of age story in general it doesn't have to focus on the the sexuality angle there um, from another country. I want to see a different, I did want to see a different culture's perspective on that type of story. Yeah. And uh, we will, uh, we will see how that goes. So queer coming of age is the, the challenge in front of us for next time. If you'd like to suggest a topic or genre you'd like covered on a future show, email watchchallengepodcast at gmail.com or in the links in the show. Indeed. And until next time, folks, rate, review the show and whatever podcast app you are currently listening to the sound of our voice in. And we will see you with the next challenge. Bye.